This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp, StoryWorth, and That New Mom Life. We are very excited to have them on board making our show a possibility. Welcome to If These Ovaries Could Talk. <laughs> I'm Jamie. I'm Robin. And we're your hosts. Let me show you. Love is love if you don't have to make a family by taking a traditional ride. If he's not a could talk and say. How do I get the sperm through custom? I am a lesbian. So gay. So gay. We need to tell our story. It's not your nuclear family anymore. It's not just your mom and dad thing. We're not ruining these little humans. It's not for the gay reason. Just because <laughs> we stay. Oh my God, so excited. We are fully vaccinated. Oh my God, both, both of, of us. us. Vaccinated. Doesn't it feel good? It does. It's so good. It feels so good. Ugh. When the guy put the second shot in my arm, he said, you're fully vaccinated. And I started crying. And then I was like, pull it together, Hopkins. Pull it together. <laughs> it does feel good. I felt, I felt guilt that I was getting it and other people weren't. So I did have some moments of like, oh, God, I, it should be other people who need it more than me, you know. Yeah. But. I mean, well, I mean, in New York, starting tomorrow, it's, it's going to be universal vaccination. Like anybody can go anybody. now. I mean, it's like, I think pretty soon we're going to be hitting that point of like, we're down to the people who don't want to do it. Right. I mean, right. the only reason I posted about vaccine was because I just want those people to really reconsider that position. I don't know if they will. I mean, everybody comes to it with their own reasons, and I'm happy to have my vaccine. I oh, my God. What are you going to do? Fresh what, air. what are you going to do? Are you going to go to the gym? Is that going to be your course. first thing? Already did. You did? Already did. That a girl. Yeah. I want to go to the movies. I'm going to go to the movies, but I... I we went to the movie. You we did? We went to a movie. I'm afraid it, I read an article this weekend from Twitter about a guy who went to the movies and he was just so stressed out the whole time about getting COVID. And I'm like, will I really? still be stressed out now that I have the vaccine? I'm like, I don't think it is I will weird. be. It's weird to go places, most definitely. And the other thing is we have young kids, so yeah. we're not in the car because yeah. our kids can get it. Anyway, the point was, the point was we got vaccinated and we got together for the first time oh since God. when? Since when was the last time we were together? Before the holidays. So long ago, the fall, um, we were trying to make that video. We were trying to make a video about for, about us being on the Ellen show. And then we never we couldn't get together because every five seconds, Jamie was coming in contact with someone with Corona. <laughs> Let's take it back. And I, I just there was one moment when I had a tickle in my throat one morning and I was like, nope, it's all off. Everything's off. We I kept, have a tickle in my throat. We'd be like, we canceled it like five times. And then we were just like, forget, forget it. it. Forget it. It's not worth it anymore. We made a, a reel because Jamie and I are now going to be real stars. That's what's happening for us, obviously. <laughs> About it with Reunited, and I've been singing Reunited ever since. It's a good song. All right. Do you folks want to join our Patreon community and help us make obviously some content for the LGBTQ families? You're not <laughs> only going to help why'd us make the show. So, I don't speak know. so much. <laughs> but you'll also get bonus content. Content. At the gestational carrier level, you'll get video interviews of most episodes, and they are dropped a day early. A day early. I mean, come on. Just head over to patreon.com slash ovaries talk to join. Yes, you should join. And it really, really does help us out. Because mm -hmm. once again, I must say, we're still not making any money doing this. But we're doing it because we love it so much. My sister was like, stop, stop minimizing your accomplishments. Because I was like, it's not like I make any money. <laughs> Pretty soon my wife is going to be like, accomplishments, shmomplishments. Get some money in the bank, yo. Go get a job. All right, let's talk about our guest, Jamie. Who's our guest this week? Elena Joy Thurston. Oh. Such, a, such a great person. You're going to love this interview. She's an inspirational speaker, a writer, and the founder of the Pride and Joy Foundation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
She's also Jamie, mm-hmm, a recovering mm-hmm. Mormon and a mom of four it. kids. So which we is had a amazing. lot to talk about. Yeah. But but before though, we want to put a little warning in here in this episode. We do want to say that it contains talk about suicide, assault, and conversion therapy. So if you have any issues with that, you know, this this might not be the one you for you because we do yeah, talk quite about any. it. But it's got a happy ending. Yeah. If, if you have any helpful. triggers, yeah. just be warned. Helen, but it's a really I, great conversation. And she's I, turned it around and did some really great stuff with it. I know. I'm trying Helen to talk is, over the fact that you're arguing with Helen Because she's yet like again. poking me about the trigger warning. I'm like, we did it, Helen. And she's standing there with a clipboard. Like, all of a sudden, she's going to try to be on Where it. Where did she get the clipboard? I know she's just going on? trying to be on it or something. And now she's, we did it already. Ugh. You keep looking to the side like she's I, actually there. I know, I'm an actor, Jamie. Very funny. I'm a method you are actor. an actor. It's amazing. <laughs> Let's roll the tape. Hi, Elena. Hi. Hi. Welcome. So happy to be here. Oh, good. Thanks for coming to our ovaries. (laughs) Where are you again? Arizona, outside of Phoenix. Oh, right, right, right. Nice and warm and hot, huh? Yeah, we took the dog out for a walk today and it was like, oh, shoot, it's coming. It's coming. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You're like afraid of the heat and we're like, I know. It's so cold here today. It's like whipping wind. It was freezing. I haven't been outside today. That's how sad my life is. (laughs) Well, we are so excited to have you here. And so we feel like, you know, we should start where we always start, right? Yeah. With the elevator pitch. Tell us who you are in 30 seconds. It's it's an easy task. No problem. Mm -hmm. I think you got this. Mm -hmm. All right. On your mark, get set. I'm going to use Jamie's soothing tone. Go. (laughs) My name's Elena Joy Thurston. I'm the executive director of the Pride and Joy Foundation. I'm a conversion therapy survivor. I'm a mom of four kids. I'm a fly fisher. I'm a TEDx speaker. I am in my 40s. I came out at 37. I had my first glass of wine at age 40. I'm going to just leave it there. (laughs) Oh, my God. I love how... That was a mic drop moment. <laughs> the best part is that the mic drop moment is not that she survived conversion therapy. It's that she no. had her first glass of wine. Yeah. <laughs> well, because I think I think right there, that statement tells you everything. Mm-hmm. Like, we need to dig in. Because there's a reason you haven't had a glass of wine until you're 40. And there's also a reason I for we're gonna conversion therapy, that. and they're connected. Well, there's that, Let's Pretty too. connected. Well, so, so tell so, us. Let's start at the beginning. Uh, How you created your family. All right. So I grew up in kind of a chaotic family. My parents came from opposing religious frameworks. And so they grew up in the East Coast and their parents were really not happy about the marriage. They weren't supposed to be marrying each other kind of thing back in the 60s. Right. And so they got married and had two kids and tried to make it work. But there was a lot of drama. They came from very different backgrounds. And so what were the religious backgrounds? Yeah. So my mom was very Catholic, a very Catholic family, like grew up like going to Catholic school with the nuns, right? The whole nine yards, learning Latin mm-hmm. in high school, like the whole thing. And then my dad grew up Episcopalian and like very Episcopalian. Like his dad was the leader of the local Grant uh, Masons, the Masons. Grand right? Pubas. So, yeah, the Grand Pubas. <laughs> That's the extent of my religion. Yeah. They were both like really prominent families in their religions. So it was also very public that like, oh my gosh, in this small town in Connecticut, these two kids are going to get married. What? Right. Yeah. So they tried to make it work and it just got harder and harder. And so when my older sister was like, I don't know, eight or nine, 
they decided to move and they moved like to the sun. So they moved to Arizona from Connecticut. Right. Ooh. And so, yeah. And they kept trying to make it work. And then I came along surprise. And <laughs> <laughs> so I was like the only one born over here, here in Arizona. And then by the time I was about eight, they finally got divorced. And I was like, oh, yes, mm. you need you guys needed to like this was ridiculous. Right. When the kids are pulling for it, I think. Yeah, really it's bad. bad right? It's bad. Totally. <laughs> totally. But when you're a kid, right, you're just like, why can't you people figure it out? Like, why can't you be adults and figure it out and get along? Right. Mm. And so I really felt like, well, crap, like. How am I going to be a successful parent? How am I going to have a successful marriage? It's not modeled for me anywhere. And I have all these big questions like, where did I come from? Why am I here? What am I supposed to accomplish during my time on earth? Like all those big questions that teenagers have, right? So I was 16 mm -hmm. when I found a church that I wanted to join because they had all the answers to all the questions that I had going on in my head. Specifically, they had okay, this is how you be a good mom. And this is how you be a good wife. And oh. this is what a good family looks like. And if you do these things, you will have God's love because that's oh. what God wants for his families. And so- But that sounds so good, doesn't it? it oh, it does. So good. It sounds good. But it's, it's like as plan. soon as you said that, I was already like, uh-oh. I was like, this is going bad. This is going to go bad. This, uh, you just opened, just the way you're, you're, you're explaining this has opened my eyes to because I've never understood why you would choose a religion because I wasn't raised with religion. Mm -hmm. I get it now. Mm -hmm. If you're really, really searching for answer, I know this sounds so naive of me, but I, it, it hasn't crossed my mind. If you're really, really searching for these answers, well, like you're coming not, from a broken home, like I get it. Mm -hmm. I went through that period. Like I was like, maybe I need God. I was like, maybe I need God. Like I remember thinking that, but then I was like drunk and I was like, it's fine. But my thing, my point is like, I, I, maybe I didn't have these grappling thoughts in my head these like these i wasn't searching deep enough i didn't have those deep thoughts but like you're you were looking for yeah, i was this church gave you a plan mm -hmm. and they said this is the way and it and it made it made you just opened my eyes oh, thank good. you it's it makes perfect sense why you would fall down that path right like when you're a person like i've figured out for me innately that i love having a plan i love having a checklist i love having proof that i'm good. I'm either a good mom or a good person or whatever, right? That I'm in control, that I can function. I mean, I'm sure someone would say like, that's all a reaction from like a chaotic childhood, but whatever. Yes. So yeah. So that was I, really that's what, what I, I do. And that's and, what happened to me. It's exactly that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. When you grow up feeling out of control, you tend to seek wanting control, right? Yes. So yeah, that was my safety zone. And I jumped in two feet right into mm. the baptismal font. Like, let's go. <laughs> how did you, how did you find this church? It was friends at school, friends mm -hmm. of my high school. Mm -hmm. And the church was? Uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or more commonly known as Mormons. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I was 16 when I got baptized and I went off to school and my freshman year of college, I was like, oh, I don't know what I want to do. Like I was majoring in drama and not getting any roles because I'm a terrible actress. <laughs> and <laughs> here were these like cool party kids, right? Like my freshman year of college and they're having a good time. And then there's also the Mormon kids. And and it's when you go to a congregation, you go to where you're assigned geographically. So like there's three or four dorms that are assigned to one congregation and they're like 300 assigned friends. 
Like they have to be your uh, friends, right, <laughs> right? right? And there's a building on campus where you can go and hang out during the day. It's called the Institute of Religion. And so there's like this instant network and community of people. So by the time my the end of my freshman year came, it was like, oh yeah, I'm definitely Mormon because now these are my people. Like mm. I came here to college not knowing anyone and they took me in and they enveloped me and they gave me all the community that I yeah. needed. Yeah. yeah. So right. it was really kind of solidified like my freshman year because then it wasn't just high school friends, right? It was right. now this next chapter that started. By the time I was 19, my college roommate, who was my very best friend, introduced me to a friend of hers from high school who'd come back from his mission and he was a great guy, really smart, really witty, treated me so well, like better mm. than any guy I had dated. And so it was six weeks later when he proposed. Whoa. And that's pretty typical for Mormon world. Because <laughs> he, he went on his mission. Yeah. He did his proselytizing. Yep. And then you come home and you get married. And you exactly. The, the cab light was on. He's ready. Exactly. And if you happen to get a college degree, great. But really, the priority is get married. Like, that's mm -hmm. your next step in life. Mm -hmm. And so I was 20 when I got married. And I was 32 when I had four children. Holy crap. Yeah. You, you, got, you got busy. I got busy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> By the time I was 37, my youngest went off to school. And... You know, we were living this incredible life at that point. My husband, I had put him through school and he'd gotten his master's. And he, by the time I was in my 30s and he was in his 30s, he was doing very well at his corporate firm and he was pegged to be a partner. And we lived in this, in the neighborhood of our area, right? Like tree lined streets, mm. white picket fence, the whole all nine the yards, things. all the things. But what was even more intense than that was, again, the congregations are organized geographically. And so our closest 300 Mormon families make up a ward. That's your congregation. And in our neighborhood, that constituted like one eighth of a square mile. Oh, my God. So small. We were more Mormon than Utah. Wow. Like when you're looking at like statistically the group of people, like they gathered in this area. Right. right? So my church friends were not just seen on Sunday. They were like at the grocery store. They were at the park. They were at the bus stop. They were everything. And at that point I was a professional photographer and I had my own studio and about 80% of my business was just people in my ward or the surrounding wards. Like mm -hmm. I didn't have to go far for business. And that's kind of how the Mormon world works is people get specialties and then you help each other out. Right. Oh my God. It's <laughs> almost like a commune. But with your own uh -huh. house. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty much. Yep. I have like a visual in my head of of like a map and like a 30,000 foot view and a little red line that just doesn't leave a very small area of land. Yes. The visual that's in my head is a bubble. Yeah. There's mm -hmm. like a bubble that goes over that area. And so I didn't know anyone other than people like me. Like I didn't know people of color. I didn't know LGBTQ people. I didn't know anyone but other white Mormon moms. Wow. Mm. So it's a very thick bubble. Yeah, I should say so. <laughs> and you're kept very busy, right? You're kept between the four kids. And then you're also giving a church calling. Mine was in Cub Scouts. I was a Cub Scout leader for like ever. And it's like <laughs> a 30-hour-a-week job that's not paid. <laughs> you know what, Elena? You are not the first 
the person we've interviewed who was also a Cub Scout mama for the Mormon religion. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, so you're in this, you're in this bubble. I want to know, you had a family. I mean, you have a family before Mormonism. What did mm -hmm. they think about your conversion to Mormonism and then you yeah. being in this bubble? Yeah. I asked my dad and stepmom about that recently, actually. Like, what did you think about this when I was 16 and wanted to be baptized? And he was like, Elena, you're a 16-year-old girl. We figured it was Mormonism this week and Buddhism the next week and <laughs> veganism the next week. He's like, none of us expected you to stick with it for 20 years. Wow. And, and then on top of that, it was, why would a parent say no to a religion for a 16-year-old girl mm -hmm. who it teaches them not to smoke, not mm -hmm. to drink, not to have sex, right? Like from his like dad perspective, this was not a horrible thing yeah. for me to mm. want to commit And to. he was religious. Mm. So it's like, it just wasn't his religion, mm -hmm. but he was religious. So it's mm -hmm. like, if, if my kid did that, I'd be like, what? But I'm not religious. Right. So it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, wow. It's guidance. So when did you start to go, yeah. uh, this isn't for me? Yeah. So my youngest went off to school and I had six hours a day to think for myself, which hadn't <laughs> happened in a really long time. And there were all these nagging thoughts that really disturbed me. And it wasn't anything to do with sexuality. It had to do with, I don't like my life. Mm. And that's not okay. That was so not okay because I was very aware of how blessed my life was. I mm -hmm. knew, mm -hmm. you know, we enjoyed an abundant income. My four kids are healthy. Like we're in a very safe neighborhood. Like there was nothing that I should have been whining about my life. And I was ashamed that every time my brain slowed down, that was the thought that popped into my head was this sucks. Mm. And so I wouldn't even like get into it. I just put a blanket over it and try to distract myself with something else because I was so ashamed that that thought was even in my head. Can you pinpoint, like go back in that time and, and pinpoint what it was you thought sucked? Or was it just like a blanket, this sucks and you didn't know what it was, but it felt yeah. like I would try to find things and I often pointed it at like my husband was working a lot and he was, he was working a ton because in the religion, you're really encouraged to only have a one income, you know, have mom stay home. Mom is really supposed to stay home and dad is really supposed to work. So there he was trying to pay every single bill, the karate, the piano, the everything. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, he was working like 80 hours a week. So I would pin it on that or I would pin it on. You know, if something's wrong, I must not be reading my scriptures enough. I must not be going to the temple enough, right? Like I must not, because I'm I'm doing all the things, but I must not be doing them well mm -hmm. enough. Because if you do them well enough, you, then you get blessings. And I haven't earned the blessing of Ugh, peace the guilt. Yet. Mm. The guilt. So I need to work harder to get that. So it was kind of like a general, this sucks. And, and I kept trying to pin it on things and 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 it was really easy to slip into like the victim or the martyr, right? Like, oh, I'm working so hard and trying to stay afloat and right, all that jazz. And and so once my youngest went off to school, then I did what every mom in the area does, which I had to get my body back. It was time to go to the gym. So, <laughs> right, joined the CrossFit and and loved it. I fell in love. Basically another religion, but not quite as yes. restricting. But you might find some <laughs> lesbians there. I don't know. Uh, just a few. Uh <laughs> you were like, hi, you're pretty. <laughs> oh, look at you doing <laughs> your squats. <laughs> I, I need some help. Could you could you spot me? No, but for reals, is CrossFit where you were like where you were first like ladies? 
No, the story okay. gets better. Oh. Okay, okay. No, keep going. Okay. So that wasn't enough. Even though I loved it, I loved seeing my weight go down and my strength go up, right? I had all I had a checklist again and I was mm. in control of my body. Like I loved that. I gloried in it, but it didn't take up enough time in the day. So I actually started long distance running as well. <laughs> because when you can't breathe, you can't think very well. And I really liked that. I really liked like that it would shut down a lot in my head doing the running and it would get to the point where I didn't want to stop running because I didn't want to hear the thoughts again. And so hence the long distance and, mm -hmm. and a friend of mine was a, a ultra marathoner and I was like, give me a program, teach me how. And he was like, okay, but you're a professional photographer and he's a fly fisher. And so fly fishers, they go on these trips, they spend thousands of dollars on these trips, but they don't keep the fish. They always put the fish back. And so the only thing you have to show for it is the can't the photos that you happen to take on your phone. Right. Mm -hmm. And so he was like, I'm going on this major trip to Alaska. I'd really like to take some amazing photos. I want some help. So we traded. He gave me a program. I gave him tips. And then his buddies were like, well, we want to learn. And I was like, oh, well, if I'm going to charge money, <laughs> I should mm -hmm. probably learn something about the sport. So I started taking lessons. And I went to a local club and made some friends and that was wild. And the thing about fly fishing, like, remember, keep in mind, I had not discovered like meditation or yoga or anything like that yet. And so when you're fly fishing, you're standing in a river and you have to be so present because your reflexes have to be super fast. And so you can't be thinking, right? Like, Oh, I yelled at my kid this morning. Or what did my husband mean by that? Or did I read my scriptures this morning? Did we say family prayers last night? You just can't think about all that. All the tabs in your brain shut down. And for the first time in my adult life, I was in my body. And instead of my body being this worldly thing that only provided temptation, that I was supposed to overcome and control, all of a sudden I was just in it and safe. And it felt good. And I realized, oh, I have emotions and thoughts <laughs> and feelings that I've never addressed ever. And so my heart kind of began to soften and I started kind of paying attention to my body for the first time in I didn't know how long. And that's when I realized, oh, crap, <laughs> I am not attracted to men. <laughs> Damn it. That's the problem. So was it just like, I'm, did you start with, I'm not attracted to my husband? And then you were like, nope, it's all dudes. Or was it just like right away at epiphany? I fell completely head over heels in love with my fishing buddy. There it is. Mm -hmm. There it is. That's how it starts. Yeah. Really. It's not about the men. It's always a woman. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, wow, you guys will actually understand I such, this. I have such an image <laughs> of like a book cover of like you and the fly fishing, like the waiters and like, and her over your shoulder, uh -huh. like the whipping of uh -huh. the... I can yeah, see the whole happened. thing. I can see the whole thing. And the hat with the little flies no, on that. it. <laughs> In my picture, you're wearing the hat. Okay, folks. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? I don't know, like a freaking global pandemic? The fear of getting vaccinated or not? Um, homeschooling your damn kids? I don't know, oh, being okay, on the playground okay. all freaking day. Slow down, day. Jamie. Slow down. Whoa, Nelly. How's that therapy treating you? It's actually going really well. Thank you very much. Uh huh. No, really, I'd be lost without my therapist that I get through BetterHelp. I sound mad, but that is part of the process, Robin. <laughs> Let me have my process, Robin. Okay, I'm going to be over here explaining BetterHelp. You take the process. Okay. 
BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist like they did for Jamie. And you can start communicating in under 48 hours, which one of us obviously needs. <laughs> it's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's a professional counseling done securely online. Okay, listen, I'm better now. Life is <laughs> a little bit hard, okay, man? Yep. But you know what else is cool about BetterHelp? There is a broad range of expertise available, which may not be available locally in the area that you live in. And you can log into your account anytime and you can send a message to your counselor and you're going to get a timely and thoughtful response, which I do a lot. And you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as you do with traditional therapy. And mm -hmm. it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling. And financial aid is available. Boom. Listen, BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's amazing. So visit BetterHelp.com slash OCT. That's Better H-E-L-P. And join the over 1 million people who've taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, Robin, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Wow. We all need this. That's the point. And this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. And so our If These Overs Could Talk listeners are going to get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash OCT. It was like, oh, I can actually question why do I not like my life? And the world's not going to fall apart because the world doesn't fall apart when I'm standing in a river. It's just the most beautiful, perfect place to be. So I can think about everything and I can question every decision that I've made. And it's okay as long as I'm standing in a river. Like it just made sense. Sounds yeah. like a shroom trip I took once. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, I think I had those exact <laughs> thoughts in a river. So, did you start a relationship with this woman? What happened? She became my everything. And when I say that, I mean she became like the basis of my sanity. And that's not healthy. Like, I mm -hmm. think we can all recognize <laughs> that right there. But it was like, I didn't feel centered, happy, grounded, peaceful, embodied. I didn't feel any of those things unless I was with her or I was fly fishing. So when those two things were not in play, when I was just at home being a mom or being a wife, I couldn't feel those feelings. And so I became desperate to like create situations that I could feel those feelings again. And so, yes, the, the relationship did become physical for about three seconds. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and because I really and those were three glorious they were three seconds. glorious seconds <laughs> and I can't hide anything going back to the fact that I'm a horrible actress like I can't lie I can't cover right. things up I suck at it so my husband very quickly realized that I was completely in love with someone that was not him he's not mm. an idiot he figured it out and the very next day I was in my bishop's office starting the repentance process what does that entail so that entails meeting, first you meet with your bishop, and he, first of all, let me define bishop. Right. Unlike most religions, the leader of an LDS ward is any man in the ward. And so it can be your neighbor, it can be your husband, it can be anyone, and they usually serve in that position for five to seven years, and then someone else is called. And so the, the bishop, the guy that I was talking to, was literally a mechanical engineer for Boeing. He grew up Mormon his whole life in the area. And now all of a sudden he had a woman sitting across from him saying that she's 
feeling the same sex attraction and had a total affair. And now her sanity is falling apart. So this poor guy. This is a do a five Hail Marys. And right? oh, I'm uncomfortable. Uh. He, he just had no clue. The poor guy. But how hard it must have been for you to even tell this to him. Or were you just dying to tell him because you wanted it off your chest? Right. I was at the point where it was like, I have to get back to God. Like at that point, I knew. You were like, I'm going to fix myself. Yeah. Because if I don't, I'm going to hell. And I've worked so hard for so long to earn my place in heaven. And now I'd screwed it up. So I was in fix it mode. And this was everyone's feeling, both Chad and myself and the bishop. It was. And the mechanic. Right. (laughs) Exactly. It wasn't like, oh, Elena, you might be gay, honey. Like, that's all there is to it. It wasn't that. It was just like, we'll fix it. It was, you gave in to a temptation. Weren't Mm. strong enough. Mm. You gave in to a temptation and you sinned. And now you need to repent and be strong and not give in to that temptation ever again so that you can get to heaven. I bet your husband was still crapping his pants, though. I mean, there's no way that you can just be like, someone can come home and tell you that. And you could just be like, oh, it's just a temptation. I'm getting, you gave into it. Like, I would immediately be like, is this a thing? Do you want this all the time? You know what I mean? Like, then the fact that everyone could just act like that's not a thing. You know what I mean? The mental gymnastics are strong with this community. Especially if that's all you know. Yeah. It's just a temptation. We just have to work through it, Mm -hmm. right? Well, it's all you've been telling yourself, Right. right? I mean, really, like in his mind, it was, okay, well, if I had had an affair, this is what I would have to do to repent and fix it. And Elena had an affair, and this is what she has to repent and do to fix it. Like in his mind, it was really equal. Right. It's just a choice you made. It's not It's a choice. That's right. Yeah. It's, it definitely doesn't address the fact that sexuality is, yeah. you know, inside you exactly. and you can't, let's say you could fix it and you were gay and you were willing to stay, that you would be living a lie your whole life. It doesn't address that at not all. Not at all. It's just kind of like, clean it up, fix it, let's move that's past that's not this. the reality in mm-hmm. that bubble. Very 1950s. Yeah. yeah it's the bubble. The it's bubble. the bubble. For sure. Because none of us knew, of the three of us. None of us knew any LGBTQ people. I mean, we probably did, but they probably weren't out to us, right? Why would they come out to us? Was your fly fishing buddy, was she gay? And was she a Mormon? She was not Mormon. She was not married. Mm. She did not have kids. And she did not identify as a lesbian at the time. So what does it entail to fix yourself? So it was weekly meetings with the bishop to discuss things and... To kind of like show like, this is what I worked on this week, and this is what I'm trying to achieve, and this is what I learned from my scripture study this week. And basically, you go and meet with him until the Spirit tells him that you've repented enough. If, if he can feel it within you, then that means you've repented enough. Mm-hmm. I can feel the facepalm from here, yes. <laughs> I'm just because I'm just like, oh, this mechanic is qualified to Not. discern that based on what? Like, Mm -hmm. it's just crazy. Yeah, it gets crazier. He has to decide. He has to decide, like, how bad was the sin? Because if it's really bad, then you have to go to a disciplinary court and they have to dole out, like, punishments. And so he had to ask, like, and the poor guy, he was so uncomfortable. (laughs) He was like, okay, I have to know where, where did it happen? Was it in your house or in her house? And did you have an orgasm? Did she have an orgasm? And oh, God, I'm so uncomfortable. For real. And did you tell the truth? 
Uh, I think I did. I can't remember very well. I think I did. You blacked out. Right. With good reason. But the horrible part was he was like, okay, well, I have to take this back to the stake president, which is in a stake, there's like six to 12 wards, depending on where you are. And so the stake president is the guy that's like over all of that. Right. So basically the bishop's boss, again, a volunteer with no training whatsoever, except he had probably been a bishop at some point. But in the hierarchy of the bubble, your little story is getting pushed up and up and up to the top. All your neighbors. And it's so private and personal and vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Oh, you poor thing. Like looking back now, it makes me sick. But at the time, that was just life. That was just how we did things. But it did, when he did say, okay, I have to take this to the stake president and he's going to be the one to decide if you get a disciplinary court or not. And a disciplinary court means that you go in front of about 15 men and you tell that same story again. And I remember telling my husband, if that, if they require that of us, we're moving, like we will move because then you get to a whole different stake where no one knows you and you essentially can start over again. But then the bishop told me, well, actually, you're now considered a known homosexual. And so you'll never be able to have a calling with kids again. So my calling in the Cub Scouts was immediately taken away. I wasn't allowed to pray in public anymore. What? Yeah. So that's like what you're going through. So I'm trying to repent and I'm, I'm trying to fix this. And And some days, you know, I'd read my scriptures and I'd pray and I'd feel really good and I'd be up here, like I'd be high and good and happy. And then I'd miss like one scripture reading session or something. And I would just fall down into this deep emotional pit. And all I could think about was her. And all I could think about was the last time I was happy, which was with her, right? Like all that Mm. BS. And finally, finally, a friend said to me, because I was confiding, you know, I was in one of those really dark days and I'm confiding to this friend in the ward, like, this is what I'm going through and I need help. I don't know how to fix this. I'm supposed to fix this and I don't know how. And she said, oh, well, there's a therapist in town that does that. He's just up the road. Here's this phone number. Call him. He fixes this stuff all the time. (laughs) And so I called and he said, yeah, I've been doing it for 40 years. It'll take one to two months, depending on how hard you work. And I can get you into my schedule right now if you want to. And so I brought it to my husband and to my bishop and they were like, oh, yeah, yep, absolutely. He's a therapist. He's a therapist. He can fix you. Jamie, Mm -hmm. when was the last time you saw your mom in person? Uh, It's been almost two years. Oh, my God. Summer of 2019. Yeah. It's been tough. It's been hard. I know. Because you guys are so close. We are. We really are. Well, I want to say this to everyone right now. If there's ever been a year to make moms in your life feel loved and appreciated on Mother's Day, it's this one. Take it from me. My mom is gone. And I wish that I had had a chance to honor her with story worth. It's it's a heartfelt, sentimental gift that the whole family can cherish together forever. Yeah. I mean, it would have been nice to have had her words. Totally. Story worth is great. So it's this online service that helps your mom, your grandmother, your mother-in-law, every mother figure in your life share stories through thought provoking questions about their memories and personal thoughts. It's just really a fun new way to engage with them, especially if you can't be together in person. Oh, and here's how it works. Every week, StoryWorth emails your mom a different story prompt, questions you never thought to ask, like, what is some of the best advice your mother ever gave you? And if you could choose any talents to have, what would they be? And listen, StoryWorth has helped numerous families learn about each other in profound, special ways. 
And their testimonials will practically move you to tears. In fact, Mm -hmm. StoryWorth has already created a powerful experience for me because I sent this as a gift to my mom last year, and we've had some fun moments laughing about some of the stories that were unearthed through these questions. My mom had some secrets, and I can't share them because they're secrets, but oh my God. I I am intrigued. (laughs) Well, it's private, so family only. But there's no shortage of surprises when reading the weekly stories, and they make your family feel close, even if you're not together. It's great. After one year, StoryWorth is going to compile all your mom's stories or Jamie's mom's stories, including photos, into a beautiful keepsake book that's shipped for free. I should give it to Mary for the kids. You should. Right? Yeah. And everybody else out there, give your mom the most meaningful gift this Mother's Day with StoryWorth. Get started right away with no shipping required by going to storyworth.com slash OCT, and you're going to get $10 off your first purchase. That's storyworth.com slash OCT for $10 off. I started that in August of 2017, four days a week, two hours a day. Are you kidding? This was essentially conversion therapy. Yes. So conversion therapy, the definition of it is any therapy whose goal is to suppress the same sex attraction and result in heteronormative attraction. And so right now, right now in 2021, we have a spectrum. And on one end of the spectrum, you have, they're not doing electroshock therapy anymore, but a lot of the camps are either no food, no drink, or They force people, mostly children whose parents have sent them there, to watch homoerotic images, and then they force them to drink like a charcoal drink, which will make them vomit so that they get that mind-body connection. On the other end of the spectrum, you have what people call just talk therapy, and it can happen. It doesn't have to be a therapist. It can be a religious leader. It can be a parent. It's any time there's a power differential between the person who's being told you need to be fixed. And then the other person who says, and I can fix you if you do X, Y, Z, pay me money or come to my church or whatever. So that is conversion therapy. And along that entire spectrum, you have one suicide rate. So it doesn't matter if you've done the really physically invasive stuff, or if you've done just talk therapy, it has a 57% suicide rate. Jesus Christ. I didn't know that. Oh my God. So Oh, geez. So you so you're going four days a week, two hours. Yeah, and every where did session. your guy land on that spectrum of was it the charcoal or the talk? Or- yeah. Well, I would say it was it was almost in the middle because he did kind of another pseudoscience method. It wasn't a mind body connection necessarily, but it was um, something happened to you when you were young that traumatized you and made you think that you are attracted to women. So if we can go back in your memory and heal that trauma then you won't be attracted to women anymore. And that sounded legit to me at the time. (laughs) And I was very, I mean, looking back now, I know that I had blinders on. I was so desperate for someone Mm -hmm. to fix this situation. I didn't Google him. I didn't Google the concept. I didn't Google like, oh, I wonder where you go to be trained in this method as a therapist. Where's the best school you can go? That doesn't exist. There's no formal training because it's been debunked by every major medical association that we have. And yet it's not illegal, which is fascinating. (laughs) Very. Yeah. So his was that. It was that we got to search your memory and find that traumatic event. And so I went for And you're like, I got trauma. I got plenty of trauma. Let's dig in. Who doesn't, right? Right. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And so two months went by and we went through a lot of memories. He had like a breathing technique and it's not hypnosis per se, but it definitely brought every memory back like really strong. I could remember what I was wearing that day, what I was eating that day, like what the weather was like, like all of that. So I would say it's like a a different mind state, a different Mm -hmm. state of the mind. You could access your memories a lot differently through this breathing technique that he led me through every time. And two months went by and we had processed a lot of memories around my parents. And -hmm. I was feeling a lot better about my mom. (laughs) (laughs) But I was still like on the roller coaster, right? And he and my husband were like, okay, it's been two months. There must be something you're not telling us. And yeah, there was. I had never told anyone, not my parents, not the police, not my husband. I had never told even my very best friend of 20 years that when I was 15, I had been gang raped. And I told this guy because I was that desperate. And he was overjoyed. Like, this is it. This is what made you think you're gay. We fix this. We fix everything. Mm. And that started four months of reliving that memory four days a week. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. I mean, in some ways, I appreciate the experience because now I can claim that identity of survivor. Like, I can now have that discussion with my kids, with my boys, right, who are now that age. Like I can now talk about it and I can relate to others. Like it's, there are many very good things that have come from it. But when you're going through that in hopes that you're going to be fixed and day after day after day comes and you are waking up, get the kids off to school, go to the gym, go to therapy, come home, kids come home, do homework, do the laundry, do dinner, put the kids to bed finally go to bed yourself, and then it all starts over again for four months, you start to think, I'm really broken. I'm Well, you were being broken. re-traumatized. You were literally being re-traumatized every single day for hours. Yeah. I mean, like, no wonder the percentage is so high. Exactly. Of suicide. Exactly. Because you begin to think, I'm so broken, God doesn't want to answer my prayer. God doesn't want me. And if God doesn't want me, then I'm a detriment to my husband and to my kids. And I should just not be here so that they can move on with a better life. I mean, that's, those are not far mental leaps. Those are all logical leaps within that framework. Mm. Um, so yeah, I had a day and a plan and I had breakfast with that best friend. And she knew that something horrible was going on in my head. And she wouldn't let me go home that day. She brought me back to her house and tucked me in her bed. And by the end of the day, she told me, you think taking your own life will stop the pain. It doesn't. It just spreads it around. And that absolutely saved me that day. Absolutely, 100%, because all I could think about were my kids. And if they had even a fraction of the pain that I was carrying, that was unacceptable to me. And so then it was like, okay, I'm just going to hold it all in. I'm just going to carry all this pain around with me and it'll be fine. And it'll never affect my kids and it'll be fine. I'm still a good mom. I'm still a good person. Maybe I don't really know, but I'm going to try. And that was on a Friday. And that next Monday, 
my husband walked into the room and said, I want a divorce. And I was like, hell no. Do you know how hard I've worked to yeah. keep this marriage together? Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, but like, that, that don't, like, are you kidding me? Right? Exactly. <laughs> like, if this is going to end in divorce, it would have ended like in that first kiss. could have done this six months ago. That's and right. I would be with a really hot fly fisher <laughs> having the time of my life. What was, okay, so what was his reasoning? That I wasn't trying anymore. Oh, my God. Praying. I wasn't oh. reading my scriptures with him anymore. I was depressed. I'm so angry for you. I, I'm so. Oh. I, I'm like, I'm so emotional right now. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but what was really great that came out in that conversation was, and it finally just fell out of my mouth. I finally said, I can't. I, I don't. I can't do any of those things you want me to do because I'm trying so hard to not listen to the voices in my head. Like they're telling me to do horrible, awful things. And all I can do is use all my energy to block them out and to not give in to that. And luckily that very best friend who had been there for me on Friday was there for me that day too. And she turned to Chad and she said, we're dealing with a mental illness. Divorce is off the table. We need to get our help. And because of the privilege in my life, I was in a psychiatrist's office four hours later doing an intake. That's a good friend. She did send you to the oh conversion therapy at first. So I'm still mad at her. Different for friend. That. Different friend. Oh, oh okay. Good, good, good. Oh, yeah. Okay. Then that's a good friend. Yeah, we're mad at her. We're I mad like, at her. I like that friend. <laughs> we're not mad at this friend. I love this friend. She's just she Oh, thank your God life. for her. Okay. Right? Okay. Think, yes. I don't know that you would be here if not yes, for her. That's exactly mm. right. And it's one of the big things that we teach in our foundation now is that. You know, suicide hotlines are great, but people will turn to their peers before they're going to turn to a stranger. And so we need to empower our peers with the information they need to intervene. Because if my friend hadn't intervened, I would not be here today. So I was in a psychiatrist's office and, and it was a two-hour intake. And at the end of it, she's like, okay, so tell me what meds you've been on. And I'm like, I have no meds. I don't take meds. Meds are for weaklings. Like, mm -hmm. You, if you read your scriptures and pray and have a good relationship with God, you don't need meds. And she was like, yeah, yeah right. So she wasn't Mormon. She no. wasn't in the ward. She no. was out of the bubble. Mm -hmm. She was not a stakeholder or a stake president or right. she was not a mechanic. She yeah. was one of those things. She was, she was an, an actual, actual trained professional. <laughs> and she was like, you're going to be on meds now. Uh-huh. Yeah. And for the first time in years, I slept. Wow. And the clarity started coming back. And every time I woke up, I was connecting dots and realizing things. And at the time, the Brett Kavanaugh hearings were happening. Uh -huh. Oh, Jesus Christ. And I'm listening to that craziness oh my God. and totally enveloped in it and watching all the men in my life respond to that. And amazingly, the Me Too movement was happening at the same time. And we were hearing all these headlines about how 75% of American women have been assaulted at some time in their life. And I finally connected the dots that 75% of American women are not gay. Right. Trauma mm. and assault does not cause sexuality. I have been lied to. And that's when I stopped going to conversion therapy. Wow. Because I could finally see that. Wow. Okay. So, so you stopped going to conversion therapy. You're still seeing this psychiatrist now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you're I still mean, married. You're still married. still married. You're still living that mm -hmm. life. So, so what happened? How do you get out of it? 
it was a series of revelations, right? So the first one being, okay, that's correlation, not causation. And then the next one was, oh, this marriage is so unfair. Like, it's unfair to me. It's unfair to him. This poor guy. I was the one that was like, I guess I'm just not a cuddly person because I really don't want to hold your hand. And I was married to 20, right? And I was like, I guess I just, I guess I just don't like people in my personal space. And if I'm washing dishes and you come up behind me and hug me, I'm probably going to kick you. Like, I just thought that was my life. And then to realize like, oh no, I really do like cuddling. (laughs) I really do like PDA. That's amazing. So then to realize like poor Chad has not had this his entire married life as well. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. he deserves to have a woman who just can't wait to hop into bed with him. And Mm -hmm. I was the opposite of that. Like, that's not fair. Mm -hmm. And then here's my boys. I have four kids and the oldest two are boys and they're getting up into their teenage years. And I'm realizing this is the physical relationship we have modeled for them. Right. Like Mm -hmm. they think it's healthy that mom never wants to cuddle with dad. They think it's normal that mom will never give dad a kiss goodbye. Like, that's so sad. Mm -hmm. And so it was that revelation that was like, I think this marriage has to end. Like, I don't know what's going to happen to me, but I think this marriage needs to end. I don't Mm -hmm. think it's serving anyone, not the kids, not you, not me. So that was like that next step was, okay, time to file for divorce. And then, okay, time for me to find a rental get my own house for the first time in my entire adult life. Like my entire life, I'd always had a roommate. I'd always shared a bed, a bedroom or something, you know? And it was like, oh, this is safe. I didn't know what it was like to walk into a master bedroom and not have all that drama Mm -hmm. hanging in the air, right? Mm, Yeah. Ooh, that was nice to go to bed every day and wake up every day and experience that. And so it was in the safety of that house that I was able to figure out the religion issue. Like at that point I had decided it is better for my kids to have a gay mom than a dead mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. if the, if that's what it takes for me to stay alive is to embrace this part of me, then I'm going to embrace it because I yeah. want to stay alive. I'm going to do anything it takes to stay alive. And it wasn't until then that I was in a safe enough place that I could even come out to my kids. How did your husband take it? Like that you were going to do this? Like, are you guys in a good place as separated people? Yeah. So I filed for divorce in 2018 and now it's 2021 and we are now in a good place. And thank God, because one of our kids has come out. (gasps) What? Oh, I'm so So, glad you came out. Me too. Oh my goodness. What a, what a wonderful, like, like you created space for that. Yeah. Oh my Did your husband stay in the Mormon church? Yeah. He's still active. Okay. And so the kids are too. But is he accepting of it or like, how are we doing here? Yeah. With our child, he's at the, I love you no matter what phase, Mm -hmm. which is a really good progression for him. Because with me, it was, this is a choice you're making and I can't believe you're choosing to destroy our family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So he's definitely, definitely progressed. Wow. I want to get into that some more too. And I just want to know when you came out, when you finally had the courage and you did it and you came out, had you been with a woman yet? I mean, besides Fly Fishing Lady? No. <laughs> no. You just knew. You just knew on the inside. Yeah. And you weren't like, I think I can rekindle with Fly Fishing Women. You were just like, I, I, I just have to go out and start anew. I mean, there was eight months or so that I wasn't allowed to have any contact with her. 
And so it wasn't until I kind of came around and kind of reclaimed my own autonomy, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's when I reached out to her as well. And we, we had some communication, but it was like, okay, well, I'm going through a divorce. I'm, I've got to set up a house. Like, and so it was still separate. But by mm-hmm. the time I came out to my kids, she and I were, were good again and together. And Oh, yeah. you're together? Yeah. Oh, well, oh, congratulations. You're with, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, my God. So it's like the love of your life. Boom. It's done. You got her. Oh, yeah. I think. I mean, I'm, I mean, at, who knows? I mean, I'm the person, right? Yeah. Like, I'm not. Who knows what the next five years is going to bring? <laughs> Wow. Well, that's a happy twist. I love that for you. Now I want to know, how was it coming out to your kids? (laughs) We got that happy moment now. (laughs) I know. We we gave you five seconds of joy. Thank you. It was funny. So my younger two are girls, and they were like eight and ten at the time that I came out to them. And so, you know, it was like cuddling on the bed before bedtime and okay guys you know how daddy has a new girlfriend and he's like really happy and we're happy for him mommy has a girlfriend too and it's Kristen and they're like yeah she's a girl she's your friend we know Hmm. (laughs) let me try again right (laughs) so go to bed sometime soon after that they saw us cuddling in the kitchen and holding hands on the couch right something I never did with their dad Right. They were like, different. you could huh. see them like put it together. And but their immediate next thought was, when is dinner? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're good. They they yeah. were good. I was very scared to tell my boys. How old were they? They were 13 and 15 at the time, which is the exact time that the church the church is very good at getting teenage boys very invested because mm. they need them. Right. The power, the power is in the priesthood. And so you need that next generation of priesthood holders to continue everything. So they were being taught a lot of things about who they were and who other people are. And my ex and I had moved to the same neighborhood because that's where the kids' schools were. So they can walk to their schools and they can walk to our houses in between. And so I just had this like recurring thought in my head that I was going to tell them and they were going to be so disgusted that they would walk out the door and walk to their dad's house, which is why I didn't tell them for a really long time until I got word from a mutual friend that my husband was done with that. And if I didn't tell them that he was going to, and that was exactly what I needed to hear because hell no, that's my story. You don't Mm -hmm. get to tell my story to my kids. (laughs) And so I was already crying. And I finally said the words, you guys, I'm gay. And they were quiet and they nodded. And the oldest one said, we kind of figured. Oh. <laughs> I was like, why didn't you say anything? And he said, well, what if we're wrong, mom? That'd be so <laughs> awkward. <laughs> okay, honey. <laughs> I guess he's got a point. Kids are, kids are so resilient if you allow them to be. You if know? you allow them to be, that is the most accurate statement of the year. So rare that I do that. Thank you. <laughs> Good job, Robin. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> I did something. Yeah. Okay, Robin, mm-hmm. we have a new podcast to tell everyone about. I'm actually excited to share this one. Oh, me too. This one is for all the new parents out there. Every new parent needs help. Every single one of us. (laughs) Truth. And when you have a newborn, it's the perfect time to binge listen to stuff, don't Mm -hmm, you think? mm -hmm. 
Okay, so that new mom life from Parents Magazine explores the whirlwind that is the first few months of parenting with editor-in-chief of Parents Latina, Grace Bastidas, and Desiree Fortin, Instagrammer and mom of triplets and a newborn. And in the new 12-episode podcast, Grace and Desiree are here to hold your hand through the first bleary-eyed, isolating months of parenthood when you're not even sure what day it is. That sounds like COVID life. Yeah. (laughs) That new mom life is here to remind new parents that they are not alone. So important. Mm -hmm. And in each episode, Grace and Desiree share the mic with top experts in the postpartum world to discuss those first weeks after giving birth. Y'all need this. Topics include the first 24 hours of motherhood, feeding your baby, sleep deprivation, body changes, making mom friends, sex and intimacy after giving birth, and more. No topic is off limits. Okay, guys. So you're going to want to go listen to That New Mom Life on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts, like this one right here. Yeah. Yeah. So we've had our ups and downs for sure. You know, they really have to wrestle with the fact that two Sundays a month, they're being told that their mom is going to hell. Because they're, sure. still, they're still in the church. All the well, children. one of the four is very strongly in the church. I think the other three are figuring themselves out. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's nice that you are showing them a life that's not in the church so they can actually choose. Yeah. You know, my whole thing with like religions like Mormonism and, and others that are like it is that there's no choice in it, is that you're, you're taking everything outside so that the only path you have is this path. Mm-hmm. You're pushing all of the information away. And so now they have both. They can see your life and they can see their dad's life and then their life in both places. And then they get to make a choice. And whatever you choose, that's okay. But it's a choice. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. You know, it's funny because the religion really prides itself on being all about choice, right? Yeah. Like kids are not baptized until they're eight instead of being baptized as infants because it's their choice, right? Yeah. And even the rings that you wear, it's it, the emblem on it is CTR, which stands for choose the right. And so it's all about choice and accountability and And yet it wasn't until probably a year after moving out, I took my daughter, she was probably 10 or 11 at that point, to like a a home tour back before COVID when we could go through historical homes and it was really cool Mm -hmm. and see how they'd done them and everything. And in the neighborhood, there was a Sikh temple that was also having an open house. And I was like, oh my gosh, we got to check this out. She was horrified. Like she was pale. She was like, honestly thinking that a pit to hell was going to open at any moment and she'd be gone. Like she was terrified. So I didn't even realize like what I had done to them Mm. until that moment. Like, oh, geez, I really did take away so much from you. Mm. And that has been probably the hardest part of parenting. It's not the sexuality. It's actually the fact that I'm parenting against my ghost. Like I was one mom five years ago. I was the mom that, yes, you're going to go to scouts and you're going to get your Eagle Award. And there's no question. There's no choice. You're doing that because that's what we do. Right. And I was the one that told my kid when I found him at 11 watching porn that he was going to go to hell or be gay or both. Like I was the mom that did that. I was the Mm. mom that went to California to go for Prop 8 in support of Prop 8. Like that was me. Right. And so, and the anxiety and the depression and the intense mental health struggles that I didn't realize I had, but that my children felt the effect of every single day. Now I parent and they're looking at me like, well, when's she going to show up again? 
Right, right. Mm. When are you going to fly off the handle the way she did every freaking day? Right. Mm. But you are also the mom who is cleaning that up. Yeah. And you are also the mom that's striving to be different. And that is just as important. I mean, I always say, and Jamie and I talk about this a lot, more in our personal lives than actually on camera or on air, that like we make mistakes all the time, but like then we try to clean them up. Like we're, we're, we're going to screw up. So it's like you just, you were a parent. Absolutely. I was doing the best I can with what I knew. And yeah. now I'm doing the best I can with what I know. Like it's mm-hmm. just. And you know a little bit more now. But it's really, it's beautiful that I'm able to be the bridge between straight conservative families and new LGBTQ families who are looking like their world just exploded, right? Mm-hmm. I'm able to be that person to say, yeah, I know. Mm. It's intense. And here's the deconstruction process. And this is how we rebuild as a queer family because we need to. So let's talk about the amazing work you're doing. I feel like that's a great segue. Yeah. So I started the Pride and Joy Foundation in May of 2020. It was a COVID baby. Prior to that, (laughs) I had given a TED Talk in November of 2019 And at that point, I was then off to the races. I was doing public speaking all over the United States, and about half of them were to LGBTQ college resource centers and talking to their students because my kid was about to go to college. And so it was a really, I think I felt really deep inside that I knew what it was like to be suicidal. And then when I woke up, And my eyes opened and I realized this entire community really struggles with suicide and it really peaks often at the college age. And to think that someone else's baby is feeling what I had been feeling like that was unacceptable to me. And so reaching out to the colleges were a big deal for me. And then COVID hit and I had eight speaking engagements canceled Mm. and all of those students, most of whom who had just come out were sent home to live with their families who either didn't know or sometimes were not affirming. And not only that, but there were no gay pride parades to go to. There were no gay coffee shops to go to. Like everything was shut down Mm -hmm. and the suicide rate began to skyrocket. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I couldn't do anything but sit at home with my camera and my microphone. So let's start the nonprofit and get the thing rolling. It had been on the bucket list, but I thought I was going to do a lot more public speaking before I did that. But (laughs) now I do all this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You did the thing. You did it. Did the thing. Tell people what the foundation's purpose mission, like the the whole overarching thingy is. Yep. Our mission is to reduce the rate of suicide and homelessness in the LGBTQ community. We do it in four ways. We have an online support group, which I love (laughs) because it brings together these straight parents who are like, holy crap, my kid just came out to me and I have no idea what to do. Right. And then you have these LGBTQ couples who are married and starting families and are like, holy crap, we have a baby with a bum rash and we have no idea how to fix it. (laughs) Right. And they get to come together and support each other. And it is beautiful. It is mm. beautiful because one of the biggest things that I have found these straight parents need right off the bat, they need to look out and see functional, healthy LGBTQ adults and see that as the vision, as the path for their kid. Because media really shows us as one, suicidal, and two, mentally unhealthy, and three, struggling for the rest of our lives. 
Right. And if mm. you're in the bubble and you don't see, you don't see it. You don't that's see all it. you that's all you have to go on. That's right. That's right. So the very first thing we try to do is introduce them to each other. And because these LGBTQ parents, they don't come from a tradition of having kids around them all the time often, right? And so it's the it's being able to have those little ideas like my kids got diarrhea. What do I do? Oh, it's the brat <laughs> diet. Like I knew that when I was 22, but a lot of these 40 year old LGBTQ parents don't know that. Right. <laughs> so it's like that exchange of information and support is so empowering and lovely. OK, so that's one thing that we do. That's Another great. thing that we do is we go into the colleges and we do the suicide prevention workshops which I love because, again, it's teaching peers. No one expects them to be a mental health professional, right? It's just like a CPR class where you go in for an afternoon, you walk out knowing how to save someone's life. It doesn't make you a surgeon, right? So these classes are the same way. We're not trying to train them to be therapists. We're trying to train them to be able to intervene successfully and be confident in that. And then the third thing that we do, we go into companies. I love this one because it ties back to my origin story. We go into companies and we teach LGBTQ inclusion and how to not get sued because you're being an ass. And it has been awesome because my husband, I always knew when he went to an HR training because he'd come home and he'd be like, I'd like to try my active listening skills tonight, right? <laughs> what I heard you say yes, was. Yes, exactly, exactly. And so I was like, man, if his company had done a training, like this is what LGBTQ means. And no, it's not a choice. It's not right. a lifestyle, right? Like if he had heard that from someone other than me in the thick of it, it could have been really helpful. Mm -hmm. And so now we go into these companies and we do these trainings and it's been incredible. We've had experiences like this guy sitting in the front row, his arms crossed, like totally pissed off. And I'm thinking, great, here we go. And on the third day, he says, all right, my sister came out to me in college and I didn't respond well. And she hasn't talked to me since. How do I repair that relationship? Oh, and it's like, oh my gosh. And not only do we help him, but his coworkers are able to see him mm -hmm, and the depth mm -hmm. of him and his experience. And so then you have coworkers saying, okay, well, I haven't felt safe to come out at work before, but I want to come out now. And I want to tell you how you can fix the relationship with your sister. Oh, wow. That's beautiful. And then those parents go home that night and have dinner with their kids and they say, I learned about non-binary today. Do you have any friends that are non-binary? And a conversation happens that might not have ever taken place before. Love it. Right? I, lo mm -hmm. I love that part. I really do. It's and then an the opening, last thing, you know. Yeah. It's, it's the expansion yes. of what is reality. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing we do is a summit. It happens in May, and we're bringing together LGBTQ families from all over the world, and we're having four different tracks. We've got a gender identity track that's supporting the trans and non-binary experience. We have a coming out early in life track, which is all the stuff you wish someone had told you when you were in your 20s or teens. And then we have a whole track that's just for parents, parents and sports coaches and teachers and religious leaders, like come for the day and learn all the stuff that you want to learn and ask all the questions you want to ask. It's a safe place. Mm -hmm. And then the last one is queer adulting. And so that's like, dating. We have a queer dating coach. We've got Equally Wed. I don't know if you know who they are. They're like a huge inclusive wedding company. So they're coming to teach us how to plan our dream weddings. And we have people coming to teach us how to start a family, whether it's adoption or IVF or DIY or whatever it might be. 
and then retirement planning through a gay lens and how to stay safe at work through a gay lens, like all the good stuff. How, how in the world <laughs> did you pull all this together in, in a year? year? Yeah, I don't really know. <laughs> I mean, it's like, in her head. that's how. I mean, good it does Google Docs. She's a Google Doc. She's a Google Docker. We could tell. But you know what it sounds like to me? It sounds like you need to have our ovaries at one of these forums talking to people. Yes. Gotta show you how we can all be just normal families. Look at us. Just a little non traditional. The kick ass part of it is that this year it's a two day event. And the first day we're bringing together all LGBTQ influencers and content creators. So podcasters and YouTubers and TikTokers and Instagrammers and photographers and writers. And we're bringing them all together so that they can collaborate and connect and have that forum. Because frankly, like you guys are in the position, if someone says, what do you do? And you say, I do a podcast. What, what is your podcast about? You have to then decide in that moment, am I going to come out to this person? Oh, yeah. We do it all the right? time. Yeah. We do it with parenting, too. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like constant. Constant. And so mm-hmm. we really wanted to provide a place where that conversation and connection could take place. But the other part of it is that We have all of these gender non-conforming youth right now who are showing up to their Zoom interviews for their first big job, and they are not getting the offer Mm. because the interview is this, right? Right. And so we wanted to invite them to come and learn, this is how you can grow a platform and make it a business and not have to change who you are, Mm. right? Here's all the tips and tricks. Here's how you start a podcast. Here's how you do TikTok. Here's how you do... Whether it's your 20-year-old or whether it's the 40-year-old who just came out, right? And is like, I have all of this experience and I'd love to share it with my new community, right? Like we want to be able to offer that to them as well. So Mm -hmm. amazing. Well, tell everyone where they can learn more about Pride and Joy Foundation just so that everyone has it. Yeah, the prideandjoyfoundation.com is the website or the summit is prideandjoysummit.com. Either one gets you there. Oh my God. I love it. I think this everybody has needs been to check so it out. incredible. You're doing such good work. I guess it was a long time coming. It was all built up and now it's like a waterfall just coming out of you. Here we go. A steam engine. Let's make the world a better place. I love it. Oh. oh my God. I that this I'm emotionally emotional exhausted, journey. but this was such a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful conversation. And I I'm so impressed by you and just moved. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That was intense. That was mm. intense. And also just like, wow, right? Yeah. Yeah. She's she's doing good work. I'm just, I'm so happy for her that she found freedom and joy. I mean, that was so much that she went through. It was intense. Yeah. But look at all the work that she has already done. All this amazing work. Oh, which reminds me of her organization. So Pride and Joy Foundation, and they're hosting the LGBTQ Family and Influencer Virtual Summit on 522 and 523. Yeah. So whether you're looking for ways to navigate the corporate world or heading down the road on your own entrepreneurial journey, there is something here for everyone. And you're just going to go to Pride Joy Foundation on IG for more information. Otherwise known as Instagram, for those of you not in the... In the know of the socials. I'm not in the the nose on anything. Also, you guys (laughs) should go get our book, If These Ovaries Could Talk, The Things We've Learned About Making an LGBTQ Family. At all major retailers. And if you want to buy locally, check out IndieBound. Yes. And you can get our audiobook if you want us to read to you at night, I love to say. Mm-hmm. It is available on Amazon and iTunes. And if you get it, don't be afraid to rate and review us on the Amazon and the Goodreads. 
Please do. We appreciate yes. that. Well, why don't you follow us? We are Ovaries Talk <laughs> on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, otherwise known as the Book of the Face. And we are If These Ovaries Could Talk on YouTube, where you're going to see recordings of our live streams. And do not forget, folks, that we have live streams on Facebook and YouTube every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. And we talk about all kinds of fun stuff on those live streams. It's the show that nobody asked for, but it keeps on giving. Sure does. So go check those out. They're really fun. And you can interact with us. So that's fun. You can also support our podcast, like we said, and join our community on Patreon at patreon.com slash ovaries talk. And you're going to get some bonus content when you do that. So so many ways to keep in touch. All right. And thank you to our sponsors, BetterHelp, StoryWorth, and That New Mom Life. And a huge thank you to all you Patreons who are helping us make the show. We thank you. And I think it is time, Jamie, that we say goodbye. Eggs. Ovaries. That's <laughs> like so off key out. But I was like, it's like a weird little. Eggs, ovaries out. If these ovaries could talk, they would say. Eggs, ovaries out. <laughs>